Now, a couple years ago, uh, four years ago, when Bridget and I and our family came to pastor the church here, one of the greatest privileges in our life, I mean that with all, due, uh, with all sincerity, the second message that I preached, if you were here, how many of you were here? Go ahead and raise your hand, okay? A lot less of you uh, than, than those who weren't here, believe it or not, and so the church is it has changed a lot, but some of you might remember. I don't expect you to remember my sermons. I would love it if you did, but I don't, it's not an expectation that I have because there's a lot of messages. But the second sermon that I preached was called Possessing an Unoffendable Heart. And I've probably preached on the issue of offense maybe five, six times in my ministry in 20 years of teaching and preaching. And I can tell you every time I do, it's a very important message because we all can relate in one way or another, but I did not know that that message might be prophetic because little did we all know seven months later we would have an, an all city, all state, all country shutdown to which pretty much everybody would disagree entirely. And we went through that uh, together, and, and I didn't realize that maybe some of those early messages that I was giving about forgiveness and anger and judgmentalism, and if you don't remember it, you're going to get some of that today. I didn't realize that maybe it was more important than, than I thought, and I just know, and we all do, that we live in a world that's easily offended. We live in a world that's easily offended, and when I'm talking about offense, I mean a world that's easily hurt, easily irritated, easily annoyed, upset, outraged, provoked, and all of the above. Now, certainly people do sin against us, and that's real. I mean, that you're going to get hurt. You're going to get offended. If a person sins against you, you have to deal with that. I'm not suggesting that makes you easily offended when you have to grapple with real sin. But Jesus teaches us what to do. And next week, I'm going to talk about forgiveness, just one message on the issue of forgiveness because it deserves an entire message. But I do think that it's fair to say that our offensiveness, as it were, is not always the result of somebody else being or offensive. I think there is a large percentage of us being offended that just happens because of the way that we interpret life, the way that we have expectations, the way that we perceive things to be. It's not always reality. And I mean, a biblical model for this or an understanding, a paradigm would be that we're all growing. The Bible says we're growing from glory to glory, from grace to grace. We're all growing, if you're a Christian, in the image of Jesus. And so if we're growing, it means we're not there yet. We don't understand everything. We're not everywhere we want to be. And if that's the case, it is possible that we don't see life the way that we always ought to. And as a result, because we live on a broken planet with broken people, with broken hearts that Jesus is fixing, that we might just, in fact, not be right all the time when it is that we perceive what other people are saying or doing. And so today, what I'd like to do is just deal with the reality of how we can be offended and what God really wants to do in the midst of all that. Because my question for you today is this, what if our perceptions and expectations and interpretations of real life situations are causing more unnecessary heart offense than we need? And what if it's toxic to our soul and it prohibits us from walking in the fullness of what God has for us? If that's the case, it means that we're bound to some degree and we need the freedom that Jesus actually brings. And I have an illustration because you don't seem convinced yet, so I'm going to do my best here. And in my head, I feel like you guys like my illustrations, but don't say otherwise, please. I was thinking about uh, a very specific word, which I think you can tell what word I, I'm thinking about right now. In case you can't, I'll put it up here. And that word is called fragile. 
to my Italian brothers and sisters. I botched that. <laughs> I was th- listen, I was thinking about something very simple that we all deal with in, in life. You know, I know one of our pastors is packing stuff up right now, so I stole his boxes. But here's, here's what this is. When you, when you move stuff and you pack, you move from one house to another, you pack things up, and in life, we pick this box up. It doesn't, doesn't seem to have any indication that there's something special in it. And we pick this box up, and we have a certain level of care that we approach this box with. It's not like we want to throw it on the ground or kick it or whatever. I mean, we're not supposed to, but that's not what we do. We have a certain level, a normal level of care that we, that we utilize, that we employ to pick this box up. But when you see this box, this box is not the same. Why? Because it says something on the outside that indicates what's on the inside. And when I see a box like this, this is how I feel. I don't know if I should pick that up because I don't know what will happen if I mishandle what's inside. Something could break by the way that I handle this. And here's what I think. I think some people, they literally live their life like this box, that they are fragile. I'm not talking about being sensitive. I think everybody could be sensitive to other people and all that's true. We want to be sensitive to God. But some people, and maybe it's us, we're too fragile. You know what fragile means? It means easily hurt easily broken, that we're frail. And people around us, even if we don't think we're this way, people around us, they can see the signs and they walk on eggshells around us. It's like a landmine. We're unpredictable or, or, or people perceive folks as unpredictable. I don't know if I say the wrong thing or I do the wrong thing. I don't know what you're going to do because you're so frail I can't settle into your presence and have a real-life conversation. I'm just not sure what's going to happen. And I want to tell you something today. As Christ followers, we are called to be sensitive to God and sensitive to people, but not frail in life, where anything can break us and anything can wound us and anything can just set us off. That is not what Jesus is like, and that's not what Jesus wants us to be like. And I believe for us to be free, we have to come face to face with what's really going on inside of us. Jesus calls us not to be people that are frail, but to be people that are more like him. And we want to grow in being full of grace and full of truth and do that at the same time. And and my belief is this, as we think about freedom from an offended heart, what if the Lord can give us a pre-forgiveness mentality? I walk with enough people to know that as we walk through forgiving someone, I pray with people and it's like, you need to forgive this person. I would say a large percentage of the time when a person needs to forgive another person, a large percentage of the time, they're forgiving their perception of what they did. They're not forgiving what they actually did. And what if that has to do with how we are and it doesn't have to do with what other people are doing? I think there's a higher place for us in Christ where we can deal with the real sins against us the way that Jesus prescribes, but there's a lot of things that we can learn how to overlook because people simply aren't sinning against us. And we need God to help us with this. In Luke chapter 17, I believe that passage will speak to this very thing. And here's what's happening. Jesus is walking with his disciples. They're on their way to Jerusalem. And really, they're on this long trek. The other gospels don't actually have this passage. They have parts of this passage. But they don't have some of the discipleship moments that happen along the way to Jerusalem. 
And so during this time, Jesus stops and He gives them a lesson in discipleship that speaks to the issue that we're talking about today. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Jesus said to His disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks, now some translations say offenses, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. He says, therefore, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, return, he returns to you seven times saying, I repent, then forgive him just as much as he comes. And listen to what the apostles say. Watch this. You maybe didn't pick this up before. Maybe you did. The apostles listen to what Jesus tells them to do pertaining to forgiveness, and they say, increase our faith. They're not talking about signs, wonders, and miracles. They're not talking about spiritual gifts. Come on, Pentecostal charismatic people. That's not what they're talking This scripture gets misused in Word of Faith churches all the time. Increase our faith. They're asking for more faith to bring more forgiveness to people because they realize what Jesus just asked them to do is impossible. I can't do what you're asking. You're telling me that if people sin against me seven times, I need to keep forgiving them? And Jesus is like, yep. Look what Jesus says to them right after they ask him for an increase of increase our faith, Jesus says. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. I'll interpret that for you. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to give you more faith. If you just had a little bit, which you do, and you did something with what you had, then you would be able to do what you're asking for. And that's really a lesson, isn't it? Faith isn't something we ask God to give us before he calls us to obey him. When he says, obey me, we already have enough to take a step, but we get the rest when we do. But if we're saying, increase our faith before I step out and follow you, friends, I'm telling you, you're just going to stay where you are all the time. And in this area of forgiveness, it may feel like I don't know how to deal with people in their offensiveness. I don't know how to forgive this person, but Jesus calls you to do it, and he gives you the grace that you need as you need it and step out in obedience to him. This is the way that it works as we follow Jesus. And so I want to talk directly at what I think he's referencing here in this passage by just bringing up two things, but it will take a little while to unpack. And the first thing that I want to talk to you about today is the causes of an offended heart. Now, in verse 1, Jesus says this, just to remind you, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks or offenses come. The Greek word for stumbling block is scandalon or sometimes scandalon. People will say it this way. And here's kind of what we think of whenever we read this word. These pictures are going to come up here any second now. Bring those pictures up. Bring those pictures up. Bam, there it is. Um, we think of a trap. The literal word for scandalon means the bait stick of a trap. And that's really an ancient trap right there. So that stick, it seals the fate of who, whatever victim comes under and takes the bait. That's what we're talking about. Jesus essentially is saying this, offenses are inevitable to come, but beware because they are are a trap. They have the power to incarcerate your heart. Be aware of this. You need to understand they're coming, they're flowing, they're coming to a church near you, and it's not going to stop, and you will not get out of this. In Proverbs 18, 19, this is sort of an outflow of what I think Jesus teaches here. The writer says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. I want you to think about that. 
In ancient times, they built walls around cities as a defensive measure. It was a defensive mechanism to ward off imminent threats. We have to protect ourselves from the enemy that's outside. But this picture that the writer in Proverbs gives is he's saying that an offended heart builds walls up that are not protecting from what's on the outside, but actually putting into prison what's on the inside. They're more unyielding. An offended person is more unyielding. They have built up a way of life around their heart where they isolate from other people. And practically speaking, what this looks like in my experience, whether it's me or it's others, is that when we get offended, we just stop listening. We shut down and we don't listen to other people. And Jesus said to his disciples, be on guard. It means watch yourselves. And he wasn't just saying watch yourselves as a person. He was saying you need to watch each other because this is going to happen in your camp. You need to understand it's not just you. It's your neighbor. It's your friend. It's your family member. And I think we all relate to that. Here's what I would like to do, though. How do we understand the offenses that typically we participate in? I think there's at least three categories. That's what I want to bring up today. Number one is there are sinful reasons. This is why we get offended. Where there's real sin, there's real hurt, there's real pain, and Jesus says it's inevitable. You you can't get out of this. You won't get away from this. It's coming. Everyone has some form of sin in their life, and with more people is more sin and more opportunities to be offended. This is why so many people will try to isolate themselves from other people. I've even heard people say to me, I just don't like people. And here's what I want to say to you. You can't stay there. You might be there, but you can't stay there. And here's why. The more you love Jesus, the more you love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves people. In fact, Jesus said you need to love your enemies. Those are the kind of people that he's telling us to love. He's essentially saying you should easily love people that love you, but you need to go even further to love your enemies. And so if we are there, we can't stay there. We're going to have sin against us, but self-preservation and isolation is just a vain attempt to protect ourselves. It will not work. And I want to remind you today that the clothes of isolation are just not part of the Christian wardrobe and they don't fit you anymore. You have a calling to reach people, to love people, to minister to people in the name of Jesus at the very minimum. And the more offended we are, the less we will ever be useful in the hands of God. And this is why being free is necessary for us. We've got to be free from being these offended people. Now, do people really sin against you? Yes. Does Jesus really call you to forgive? Yes. How do I do that? Come back next week and we'll talk about forgiveness. (laughs) Soft sell, amen. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't say love avoids sin. It doesn't say love acts like sin isn't real. It says it's more powerful than sin. I want to tell you today, there's something more powerful than what people have done against you. And what people have done against you does not have to produce sin in you. And that is a principle you can write down today, especially as followers of Jesus. The second reason that we get offended is personal. The first one is what other people do. The second one is what happens on the inside of us. We've got to acknowledge that there's a large percentage of our offense 
that we take up within relationship with others that does have to do with what's going on inside of us. Now, I just want to bring up a few things. This is a very light topic. You guys should be able to breathe a couple times. Not a problem. Number one, we can be presumptuous or we wrongly interpret a circumstance or an interaction and we jump to conclusions. Now, I know you've never done this before, but maybe someone that looks like you or is next to you right now has done this. I mean, just simple things like, why didn't they invite me to the wedding? What does that mean? That must mean that they don't like me. That must mean something. It means probably that they have a small family gathering for the wedding. See, we never, we never think about like the simple scenario. It's always the one that has me at the center and people not liking me. Friends, I just want to tell you something my dad told me a long time ago, and it'll minister to you. People don't go to bed with you on their mind. I just feel like we could go home right now. That just, that just, just put that in your pocket and take it to the bank. Or even on social media, it's like, oh, look at that 4th of July party. Why didn't they invite me? Come on, you've never thought about this stuff. <laughs> it looks so fun. It looks so fun. And all the kids are there. We've got kids. We're friends. Our kids are friends. What's that about? This is a young adult gathering. I am a young adult, 29. I'm on the upper echelon of that, but I'm still there. I don't get it. We just jump to conclusions and we're offended. We get offended at some small stuff and we just need to let it go. This is a personal thing. It's presumption. You, don't wanna, you wanna know how you settle some of those things? You ask questions. If you have to, some of it, you just gotta let it go. But other things, you just ask questions. We make so many assumptions about things in life and it's not always the case. The longer you live life, the more you realize like your interpretation of what's going on is not always right. It's just the truth. Number two is we can be biased. We all are predisposed and it can cause offense, family, politics, social media. As the pastor of a large church, I can just tell you, I won't go into my business, but man, I can just tell you, we get offended. People get offended at the smallest things. I'm holding back. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's amazing. It's so amazing. And it doesn't, it's like there's this idea that there's a right way to live all of these neutral biblical issues. Where it's biblical, we need to be very clear. Where it's neutral, we need to allow some space and grace. And that's a freer place for us, for us to live. Sometimes people will make so many issues biblical, and I'm like, show me a Bible verse where it says that specific thing that you're saying. And they'll go from implication to implication to implication. And you know what happens in my mind when people talk to me like that? You're not free. I just can't even imagine what it's like to live life with this constant loop of what other people are thinking and how other people are wrong all the time. Like, I want to get free from that. Can I get an amen today? I want to care about what really matters. Amen. Care about biblical issues, things that really matter, but let some stuff go. We can be wounded. Our unhealed past wounds have a living voice and they cause our hearts to be offended. We've talked about our past wounds extensively and the cycles that come as a result of that. I'll just give you a little example to make fun of me. But one time, not long ago, I was in, in aggressive fellowship with my wife. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Uh, pastors don't want to admit they argue, you know, amen. No, we're just perfect. We are... Nothing happens in the Dixon home. Whatever. She was here last service. Now I can say what I want. <laughs> I was like, now I'm offending my wife, bringing it up. No, we're actually real cool. We, she, I haven't heard her yet by a public announcement. Um, 
we were in this intense fellowship, aggressive negotiations, and she said something to me, and here's what happened. I didn't agree with her line of reasoning. I just didn't. That in my head, and at some point it came to a halt where I said this to her. Okay, now, you're going to judge me, but I'm, uh, here I am. I said to her, I'm not stupid. Yeah, you're judging me. All right. You need this message. And she said back to me, I didn't say you were stupid. And as a good man, at least in the latter moment, I said nothing. I stopped myself and asked the question in my head. Part of me was like, why did you just say that to your wife? Like this, this argument was not good enough for me to say that to her. I don't know why I said it. So I went to go pray. I don't know if she encouraged me to or if I just did. I'd like to think I just did, but I went to go pray, and as I prayed, I just said, I was honestly, I was like, Lord, why did I say that to my wife? Like, what's, like, that didn't, that came from somewhere, and I didn't hear his voice, but something that came to my mind was this relationship that I used to have with this person, and they used to speak to me in a certain way where I felt backed into a corner. Have you ever felt backed into a corner by the way someone speaks to you? Now, there's usually two responses to that, either you fight or flight. I'm a fight. Some of you are a flight. Some of you, you crumple, and you have to deal with the reality of that. Some of you, you fight, and you have to deal with the overflow of that. Well, I put up the dukes, and, and if you want a good argument, I got time, you know? So that's just how it works. And, and so I felt dumb. I, this person put me down. This person spoke to me in a condescending way, and they just wouldn't relent. They didn't have awareness. They didn't have humility. They didn't have kindness, and it, just, it was just like pounding on me, and so I had to learn a way to negotiate life with this person, and when my wife spoke to me, even though she's not that person, even though she really wasn't talking to me like that, somehow that particular moment reminded me of this relationship, and I didn't put the two and two together, so I just spoke out of my heart, which was back here in this place somewhere that she had nothing to do with. And I said to her out of my mouth, I'm not stupid. And she said, I didn't, she like literally didn't say that to me. And I had to deal with that. And you've never had this happen to you in your life before. So it looks like, and, (laughs) but here's what I'm saying is that we have past wounds that still have a living voice. And we get offended by people because this reminds us of that. And Jesus wants to set us free of that so that we don't have to live in it perpetually in, in our future. The last thing is we have wrong or real, unrealistic expectations. Now, there's healthy expectations we should have in life. We should expect that people do right. We should expect people fulfill their word. We should expect people to treat, treat us decent. Those are good expectations, but we have a lot of expectations that are uncommunicated. You don't have to be married to say amen to this, but at times we'll say, I can't read your mind. <laughs> I feel like that all the time where there's these expectations, these unspoken rules. And when we live life where we don't communicate and we expect, well, you should have known. I don't have to tell you, but you should have known. It's common sense. Have you ever considered that it's common sense to you, but maybe not to other people, and that doesn't make them dumb? Do, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, have you, have, have, do we ever think, like, maybe it's common sense to me, or maybe this is because I think this way, but it is possible that most other humans don't think the way I think? Is it possible that you're not being offensive, but that I'm offendable? Uh-oh. 
I was sharing with our discipleship track on Wednesday nights, when I got saved and my whole life changed, you know, I started going to church. Before that, I hated church. I thought Christians were hypocrites, all that stuff, whatever. So I stayed away from Christians and I stayed away from church until I was almost 20 when I got saved. And so when I got, when I came to Christ, man, I was like, oh, I can't wait to go to church. I was in, I was going to church gatherings five times a week. That's the truth. I mean, I ended up in every kind of denomination, Seventh-day Adventist, Baptist, Pentecostal, and we're all so if they had the Bible in there, man, I was ready to go. Is that a women's Bible study? I'm not a woman, but I'm going. Where's the Bible at? I know that means a lot. Of, anyway, all right. So I didn't, you offended. So I was so excited. I was, um, I thought when I go to church, everyone there that I avoided for all these years is merciful is kind, is patient, is loving. They're going to welcome me in their home, this young, radical, on-fire-for-God guy that lost all of his friends. Like, I can't, my expectations were so high. Can you understand that? I thought these people, like, I didn't say it, and nobody told me, but I thought these people are perfect. I was like, now I can be part of the crew. I can be one of them. This is so great. I hated you forever, but now I'm one of you. It's great. It's great. And it did not take long for me to realize that there's a lot of messed up people in church. <laughs> and I was hurt. I was let down by leaders. I was let down by people. I was let down by mentors. I was let down by Bible study leaders. I was let down by so many people. And it was my expectation that was let down. It was my interpretation. Did they do sin to me? Not really. But they didn't meet my expectations. I wanted them to be more warm and more this and more that. See, that's what happens when you're offended all the time, is you don't think about you. You don't think about, you think, it, you assume you're great and everyone else is the problem. That's a bad assumption. I had a guy, I heard an illustration that I want to share with you. A guy said, if I went to the gym and I hadn't gone, but now I start going to the gym. And I get there, and everybody at the gym is out of shape. And I walk in, and I go, oh, what? look at everybody's out of shape. I'm leaving this place. Everybody here is supposed to be in shape. That's a wrong assumption. And you go to the gym, and you think, no, everybody goes to the gym to get in shape, which assumes that they're not. So you should expect to see out-of-shape people at the gym who are trying to do better. That's what church is supposed to be like. Church is not a gathering of people that already have it together. Church is a gathering of people who go and gather together around God's Word, around His Son, because He's the only perfect one, and we all have seemed to find Him. And if you found Him, you found the right thing. And so it would be odd for us to go to the gym and think that, but I had the expectation and I was so let down. And I want to tell you something. I wasn't let down because of imperfect people. I was let down because I expected them to be perfect and they weren't. I had no grace. Now I realize I may not be able to control everyone else and everything else, but I certainly get to choose what goes on in here. And I don't want to be a person and I don't want you to be a person that's so easily offended if you're not greeted or if you're not looked at the right way or spoken to the right way, that we would automatically say, you know what, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe someone overlooked me. It could just be that simple. It could just be that simple. I've had times where people, I've invited speakers and they forgot my name. 
It's happened here. You didn't know it because I just covered it, you know? I'm not going to tell you who it was. But I had to, like, grapple with that. I'm like, you forgot my name. I don't care if you forgot, like, all the accolades of my life, but my name. My name is Ben. You don't even need to call me pastor. Just Ben would be fine. She couldn't remember that. You know, I mean, just this stuff, right? Like, it's easy to let that accumulate and cause what's on the inside to be more toxic than you really want it to be. It happens to all of us. But then there's a third component. There are spiritual reasons why we can get offended. Now, follow me on this part. If, if, if you're not quite awake, you, want, you definitely don't want to wake up halfway through this one, all right? I'm not offended. I'm just saying. Did you know that it's entirely possible for you to be offended by God? Here's, here's what I mean. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's a reality. You don't believe me. All right. Matthew 15, 12, the Pharisees were offended at Jesus when he spoke the truth and called them hypocrites. In fact, the disciples came to Jesus and said, the Pharisees are offended at you because you called them hypocrites. But Jesus didn't have a great response after that, so we'll keep going. Luke chapter 6 and verse 23, Jesus said, blessed are those who don't take offense at me. John chapter 6, you remember this? Jesus is teaching this very controversial thing, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me. And the Bible says that many were offended and chose to walk away from Jesus. So Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, are you two going to walk away? And here's what Peter says. He has a great moment. He says, we, we are not going to leave because you're the one that has the words of life. Where else would we go? Here's what he's saying. I may not understand what you're teaching right now. I may not understand how that fits into my life. I maybe can't explain what you just said to other people, but I do know this, that I'm not going to leave you just because I don't understand something that you said. I mean, that shoe should fit today, don't you think? Peter had a great moment. He said, there are things that you've said, Jesus, I don't get, but I know you're the guy and I'm not going to stop following you. But other people were offended at Jesus. Mark chapter, now there's another part of this. We could be offended by God. Sometimes God doesn't do things the way that we think he should. Sometimes God doesn't do what we ask him to or the way that we thought it would happen. This happens to me. This happens to you. Mark chapter 8 and verse 3. There was a guy that was blind from birth and Jesus said, come here. And he said, I'm going to heal you. You know what he did? He spit in the guy's eyes. Now, I just want to bring this up. <laughs> I've conducted a lot of healing services where we've laid hands on people with oil and the whole thing. I have never considered spitting in someone's eye. I mean, it's not even like a thought. I mean, it's funny. I'd entertain that as a funny, but I, I've never, like if someone was here blind today, I wouldn't be like, hey, come on up front. Me and Pastor Scott are about to get ready. <laughs> oh, you don't hear so well? <laughs> he did that one too, guys. That's why I ask you a question. I mean, look, 
if we ever do that here at our church, you just go ahead and find you a Bible-believing church. I mean, it's like, <laughs> if I called you forward and said, hey, we're going to practice the Jesus model of healing, I think half of you just go, I just, Pastor Ben, I'm going to let my legs stay like this. I'm good. I'm just, I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to let it stay broke, man. You're not going to touch me in any way like that. No, you, you, you'd leave, and I'd encourage you to. That, Jesus did, in their culture, when you spit on or at someone, it was deeply offensive. Remember when Jesus was, was being questioned uh, by the Sanhedrin, and it says that they struck him, and they did what? They spit on him. When he was being flogged, they spit on him. This is not just a, a, a word. This is a, communicating something of great disdain, of hatred, mockery. When Jesus spit in his eyes, there's no other way to interpret it. It was an offensive thing. You say, well, why did he do that? I, I don't exactly know, but I do think that sometimes the Lord will do things in a way that might offend our, it might offend our mind because he's trying to facilitate something in our heart. I don't know how that all works, but I'll tell you, God is working in our life in ways that we're not asking him to work because we think things need to happen the way we want them to. And I'll tell you what, God will orchestrate situations in our life that may become offensive at first because he wants to transform us. Here's what you'll do. You'll pray right now. You'll pray at church. You pray, God, change me. Lord, change me. And then you're going to go to your job and you're going to have people that are offensive. And you're like, Lord, change them. Change them, Lord. But you know what's going to happen? What if the Lord introduces relationships sometimes? Because the only way that you change is for you to humble yourself and practice what Jesus did. What if the Lord doesn't want us to move from one relationship to another, from one church to another, from one place to another, from one person? What if we bring us with us every time we go, and if we just learn to manage our life, and everybody else is the problem, but everywhere we go, we seem to have these issues. What if we just stop and say, what am I contributing to this? Maybe it is that I'm easily offended. Maybe I'm part of the problem. I'm not saying we're the whole problem, but I want to say it to you like this. Jesus offended people not because he was offensive, but because people are offendable. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's encouraging young Timothy, who's a pastor, and he's very fearful at this time. We know that from 2 Timothy 1. He tells him not to be afraid. He tells him that because he's afraid. But then he says this to him about the Bible, verse 16, all Scripture, that's Old Testament, is God-breathed. It's given by divine inspiration. It is from God, and it's profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience. Stop right there. Let's not pass that up. He said, all Scripture is from God. It's not from man. It's from God. I know it's popular today to say it was written by people and it's all messed up. It's from God, all Scripture. And it's profitable for correction. Everybody say correction. correction. Okay, here's a question. Do you need correction in your life? Yes or no? How's that, how's that going to come to you? How's that going to come to you in individualistic society where we're all right and other people are wrong? where we live by our feelings, we float along by whatever opinions we have, and we really don't want to interact with people who have a difference of opinion than us. If that's the case, how do you change? How does God even correct us? Here's what I would tell you. We need the Bible. <laughs> we need the Bible. Here's, here's what I've learned. You know, people will say to me sometimes every now and again, I've had 
wonderful people say wonderful things, you know. <laughs> say, you know, pastors don't preach the truth anymore. Did I do that well? Did you see that? I, it took me a lot of practice. Pastors don't preach the truth. If pastors just preach the truth, then we wouldn't be where we are today. I'm like, really? Uh, is that, that how it works? Pastors just preach the truth. Everybody, everybody be good. It's not about how you disciple your kids. It's not about how you live your life. It's not about how you share the gospel and invite people into your home. It's just about pastors preaching the truth. I want to tell you something. Some pastors don't preach the truth. Sometimes I get intimidated to preach the truth. I try to preach the truth. This is not my book. I you know, did you guys know I didn't? I have a book I wrote. This isn't it. <laughs> this is not it. Pastors sometimes don't preach the truth because people get offended. And we can sit there and say, well, they should, they should preach the truth anyways. I want to tell you something. 25% of pastors stepped down in COVID for a reason. It was because they learned just how bad it can be. Now, we can judge them or we can pray for them. I choose to pray for them because they had it hard. It was hard as parents. It was hard as educators. It's been hard as healthcare workers. I mean, we've all had our difficulties. But I just want to tell you, it's one of those moments where I recognize people need to preach the truth. We do need to preach the truth. I believe that. I say that. I say amen to that. I'm accountable to that. I'm responsible to that. And here's what's really important is that we also understand that if I actually do preach the truth, you should expect to get offended once in a while, but deal with that. You cannot say, just preach the truth. And then when I start talking about sexuality, you start saying, well, that wasn't compassionate enough. If I preach the truth and I talk about gender, and I talk about men and women, and some of us here, you get a little uncomfortable. You, you, friends, I'm just telling you, I'm not, this is, this is it. You have one of these. You should read it too. I highly encourage it. We should study this. But we're too busy getting our media or our our information from social media. That algorithm is curating the content for us and telling us what to believe. I'm telling you invest into this book. I'm not telling you just to hear what I have to say. But preaching the truth is a cost. And there are times where you should come in here and you should expect to feel something. You should expect to be uncomfortable. You should expect to go, man, should my kids be hearing this? I'll tell you what they're hearing in the world is crazy town. And so here's what we say is that it's sometimes it's going to land on our heart. And, it's, you know, if you never have to grapple with anything, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means we're on the lazy river of culture with our little margarita just floating on by. Oh, man, we, it confronts me. Truth confronts me. If you read this book and it never confronts you, you're probably not reading the whole thing. You should read Leviticus once in a while. Yeah, pick and choose, fine, that's fine. It's not, it's not a whole balanced diet. That's, that's the reality. And here, here's what I know. Here's, here's what I know about this. As he said, Scripture corrects us. We need correction. I need correction. You need correction. We need it. We need correction. Where do we get it? We get it from God's Word. And sometimes God's Word offends people. But look at what happens. Look at the churches that literally start playing around with what this means. They're not here anymore, guys. I'll tell you why you're here. One thing you know, I don't want us to be the angry church. In August, I'm going to talk about a lot of stuff, okay? I don't want us to be the angry church, but we better be the truthful church. We better be the truthful church, right? We better be a church because you and I, not just me, but you and I, we have a book, we have a message, and it says what it says, 
You could grapple with that all day long. But if this isn't the truth, then you tell me what is. You tell me what is. But the churches that I believe are wrestling with this book and saying, this is what God says. This is what it says. This is the truth about sexuality. I know what the culture says. This is the truth about gender. I know what the culture says. This is the truth about education. But I know what the culture says. This is the truth about family. I know what the culture says, but I'm grappling with this book because in every generation things change, but this hasn't. And as far as I can tell, when churches move away from that, they no longer exist. That's what happens. You can track the denomination. They're gone. The church, they're gone. And people that start going to those churches, I pray for churches. I do. I'm not condemning. I'm just saying they don't become churches anymore. And it hurts a lot of people. And I just want to encourage you. Sometimes you might get offended by God, but God's not trying to offend you. It's that his word is confronting something inside of us that needs to be corrected. We need to align to God. And if that isn't happening for you, I highly encourage a steady diet of this book in your life. And if we don't do anything better at this church than to introduce the Bible again and again and again and tell you, please read your Bible. Please read the Bible. It says the truth. If that's all we do and we're good at it, then I think we've done a great job. I believe that. I believe that. Well, you're not great with small groups. Okay, but are we great with this? (laughs) You're not, you're not very nice sometimes, Pastor Ben. Whatever you agree with this, I'll try, you know. Do you need a pillow or some hairspray? I don't know what you need. A Coke? I don't know. Do you need, do you need some can- We got some bananas and cookies in there. I don't know. We're trying to do a good job of all the other things to facilitate discipleship, but it's got to be based on the Bible. It's, and let God offend us so that it's no longer offensive. Let God mess with you so that it no longer hurts. Truth doesn't have to hurt. We welcome it. Pray that prayer with me when you do at times. In your own time, when you're reading the Bible, say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. And I don't care what you say or how I feel about it as long as it's you and you never stop. And when I read this book, I pray you'd help me understand it. That's a good prayer to pray. It's a good prayer to pray. You're welcome. You can take that with you. I want to also talk for a little bit about, I only have a few minutes left, the responses of an unoffendable heart because that's where we're going. And I want to say to you up front, Jesus says in Luke 7, he gives warning and exhortation and direction to his disciples to navigate offense in a very righteous way. And I want to tell you, you need a vision for your life to be unoffendable. You have to have this vision in your life. If you live your life wanting other people to treat you in a certain way, you're not living the right kind of life. People are going to do what they're going to do, and you cannot control that. But what you can control is how you choose to live. And so you have to have a vision for you and I to be better, to be more like Jesus. That's the vision. That's what Christians got to get a hold of. I want to be like him. I want to look like him. I want to speak like him. I want to follow him. That's the vision. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 165, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. You should write that down. You should put that on your mirror. Today, nothing causes me to stumble. It's not true yet. (laughs) It's not true of me yet. But this is my vision. Is this your vision? Nothing causes me to stumble. Yeah, something happened. They said something. Nothing causes me to stumble. I love that. How do I do that? Just I'm going to shoot these at you like a shotgun. Number one, we must become more self-aware. This is how we prevent some of the offense that happens in our life. 
There's a possibility, it doesn't sound very spiritual, but Jesus actually said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you can, you've committed murder. If you've lusted after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. He wasn't saying that's reality. He was saying that this out here comes from what's in here. It starts small and it happens in your heart. And if you don't know what's going on inside, then you're going to let it flow out of you like a river. It will eventually manifest in the thing that you say or you think you will not do. But if it's here and it's unchecked and we're not aware, those things will happen. And I know those are extreme examples, but that's the principle of the Sermon on the Mount. What's inside you might start small, but it gets bigger and it takes over. So if you really want to know if you're easily offended, ask what other people say. Ask how other people interpret you. You could say, well, I'm not very fragile. I'm not. I'm just... I'm not like that, but what, what if other people's narrative of how you are and how they settle into your presence, what if that's not their interpretation? My next question is, if other people said you are easily offended and I can't talk to you about everything, if they said that, what's your next move? What's your next move? Is it to defend yourself? Is it to make them the problem? Or is it to say, I could grow? You know what? I could grow. Do we power down and go, I want to be more like Jesus? What's your next move? you got to be self-aware if you're going to do that. Number two is we have to choose the heart of Christ. Jesus taught us to do this everywhere, not to manage our reactions or responses, but we're called to grow into His likeness. And the only way that we can do that is actually in the face of an offensive world, do what He did. He said in Luke 6, 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those that mistreat you. In my Bible, I underline all of them. It says, love, do good, bless, pray for. That's what it says in my, this underline and highlighted. Love, do good, bless, pray for. I want to keep my mind and my heart focused on the things that I'm supposed to do, not the things that they're doing to me. That's what Jesus taught. And number three, we need to learn to let some things go. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you just got to be lighthearted these days, man. I'll tell you what. It's like when you have your kids and they're throwing a tantrum, not that you've ever had that happen. Your kids are young and they're in the supermarket and you're not buying them the Skittles, the rainbow. You're not getting them what they want. And so they just crumple on the ground and they're like, ah. And what's amazing is when that happens, and I'm not judging other parents, but when that happens, sometimes parents like really start freaking out on their kids. They can't even hold it back. You know, maybe you've done that. Shame off you. Amen. Get right with Jesus. But when the kid throws a tantrum, that shouldn't mean we do too. We have to develop a way of dealing with that. But I'm just saying like, we have to learn to be like, oh, I, I, one time I watched the dad and their kid was, uh, it was like aisle 11, Fred Myers, kid freaks out, falls to the ground. I want my cookies or what, what it was just, whatever it was, it was lame, but did that. And I watched this. I was, <laughs> I, I was nosy. I, I, I was looking at the Fig Newtons or whatever. And I was like, Because I have sermon illustration coming, you know, so I'm just, cause, and I know that, so I'm looking over there. And, uh, and the dad did something so magnificent. He just looks, the, the kid's on the ground, and he's like, oh, okay, are you done? I was like, I love you. I love you. He just wasn't moved. He wasn't passive. He was patient. He was just waiting. He's like, oh, are we done? And he was patient, and the kid finally got it. He was training the kid that you're not going to push my buttons. I just love that. I, I, I love that. He just let it go. He learned to let it go. It's amazing. I'll tell you a little story as I close, it, just so you can laugh at me. 
because uh, this stuff, it sh- we should have a light heart. We, it, that's the point. When Bridget and I left our last church, they had a going away party for us. And we were there 15 years, and I greeted 300 plus people. We had 200 interns, young adult interns. So we were well-loved and in that community and were there for a long time. So many things happened there. Kids got baptized there, saved there. Bridget gave her life to Jesus there. I mean, so many things happened. And so we're closing one chapter, and we're coming on down to you. And, and, and so they, uh, this long line, and you get depleted emotionally. I was gone. Like emotionally, I was vacant. I was, I, I was not there. I was gone. And uh, everybody had said goodbye. It was really late. I'm on my way out the door to go home and binge watch something and probably pass out, probably. Because adrenaline gone, emotions gone, I'm spent. You know, those long, like, anyways. This one guy who I didn't know very well, uh, he was there for the, at the church a long time. He waited for hours. He was there for the whole part, waited for hours, and he stops me at the door. said, Ben, I waited because I wanted to say goodbye to you. Hey, I just want to thank you for your prophetic ministry, your teaching, your example. I just appreciate you and all that. I said, oh, thank you so much, right? Thank you so much. And he said, can I encourage you in something? And I said, sure. And I, I was thinking like, why not one more blessing, you know? I mean, like everybody, I mean, people are giving us gifts and gift cards and thank yous and big hugs and tears. And I was like, okay, fine. I want to let it, you know, encourage me. And, and here's, here's what he said. I had to write it down. When you preach, your grammar is very incorrect. <laughs> and it can cause many of your listeners like myself to tune you out. And I just don't want that to happen to you where you go. So I did this, you know. No, no I'm just I'm just, I'm just I just said, say that again. That, what'd you say? I went, I went ghetto. I went, I went, I backslid. You know, I did. Thank you, Lord. Um, no, I, I, I like legitimately like had nothing in me. My tank was tapped and I just looked at him. I said, oh, oh, oh okay, thank you. But in my mind, here's what I was can I help you? I've gotten healed. I just want you to know. <laughs> Friends, listen, this is a going away party, and it's, I'm on my way out the door. Gifts, thank yous, hugs, goodbyes. We love you. It's emotional for us. We've literally moved everything. It's a huge change for my kids, for us. And this guy who I don't even know very well, he's like, I want to encourage you. <laughs> and my, my balloon is like this, and it's like, psh- Did he sin against me? No. Even as he was talking to me, his grammar was like, uh, uh, the, uh, man, man. in my mind, I'm like, even the way you're talking to me, bro, is no bad. But it doesn't matter. Like, was he trying to offend me? No. In his mind, it was an encouragement. In my mind, it was a poorly timed correction. But here's the thing. We've got to learn how to laugh at it, and we've got to learn how to let some stuff go. Would it be good for you if I get up here every week and I teach and this is the stuff lurking in the back of my heart that I'm not dealing with? You think it would ever leak out of me? I mean, I'm telling you this so you can laugh at me. I'm telling you this so that we can be lighthearted. I'm not trying to make it about me. I'm just saying, like, don't we want to deal with things in our life in a way where we're just like, oh, they didn't mean it. And we just pray it and leave it there. It's not lurking in our heart. We're trying to prove something's like, oh, I'm going to be the best preacher in the world. You watch you, buddy. My grammar is excellent. I'm going to go take some more classes and come back to you and be like, you didn't know what you were talking about. I mean, we just, that's people, that's what we do. 
So this guy that I've never, I mean, I never knew, I've never seen him before, is like still has power in my life because I'm, offend, I'm offendable. It's not good. It's not healthy. So I want to encourage you that as little things happen in the days, weeks, months, have a f- grace-filled heart. Have a grace-filled heart. Ask the Lord to give you grace. Ask the Lord to give you love for people. Ask the Lord to help you let it go. I have to, and I think you should. Otherwise, you're going to be wound so tight, you're going to pop when you least expect it. And how many relationships do we have to burn? How many situations do we have to run through before we realize maybe we're just too offendable? God wants to change that and deal with that. Would you stand to your feet? I have to close. We have uh, prayer teams available after the service, and I want to pray for you, and I want to say this to you as as I give a benediction. Uh, But... If you need prayer today, please come forward. We'll be here to pray with you. If you need freedom, Jesus is in that business. We want to we make that available and pray in agreement for his freedom in your life. But I was reading yesterday this passage in the book of Jude, only one chapter, verse 24. And so I say this to you. Would you put out your hands before the Lord just to receive from God? Just not me, but him. Listen to this verse as you consider it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. We declare with all of our heart today that we want to be like you. And I confess that I am not. I want to be. Father, I pray that you would give us a vision to become more like you. And help us, Lord, to have grace-filled hearts. We're not overlooking sin. We're going to deal with that. But God, I pray that you would help us to see people with love, with mercy, and with grace so that we could bring about your testimony in the earth as you intend. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.